Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. I asked Catherine Kaplan, who I've gotten to know thanks to Zoom and thanks to their episodes that she contributed to this podcast, if she could interview me, because she is an extraordinarily good interviewer. And the toughest challenge, as you'll hear, that she has is for me to stop talking so she can ask me the next question or give me the next impression of what she just heard. I'm really shameless in regard to get, once I get going on something, as you probably know if you've been listening regularly, I really do try to listen to the persons in my conversations for the podcast. And I know she tried hard to listen to me. And yet, I think it came out in a way that we hoped for this really important episode in in the stream of things. The book is done. We finished the fine-tuning of copy editing just yesterday. Practice as a way of being. Peter Vale's Conjectures on Why Practice Matters to You. That's the book. And I'll keep plugging it probably for the rest of my life. It's a digital book, which makes it, I think, somewhat pioneering in its uh, in its makeup and how we did it and how we can continually add to it as a living book. So I said, Kathleen, maybe you could ask me why I done this, why Peter chose me, and why I've been doing this for so long. What's in it for me? What's in me for it? <laughs> And she does a wonderful job in, a, in, a, in her kind way. And uh, so this is a, a thank you to Catherine Kaplan, but also hope a thank you to anyone who listens even a little bit to this podcast series, because it is a labor of love. So here we are, Catherine Kaplan and the magpie who can never stop talking, Dave Firon. Well, here we go, episode 160. And what better way to mark that milestone, David, than to connect with someone who is in the triangle between Peter Vale and me, and that's Catherine Kaplan. You've heard her before, I think two episodes now, once with her, her dear husband, And now uh, she's here with me to give me a great favor, which is to ask me a few questions about why in hell have you been doing this for so long and the rest of the questions that go with that. But Catherine, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Say hi to my thousands of listeners. (laughs) Uh, It's a pleasure and I'm honored that you asked me. (laughs) So, you want me to start? Yes, but I will have to confess, I don't have thousands of listeners. But, you know, Uh, in my head, I have thousands of listeners. But even if one person listens to the Yes, play to the crowd. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm open for whatever questions you want to ask me. Right. Well, the first one is... You know, in terms of how you got yourself into this, Peter asked you to be a collaborator. Yes. Why you, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, well, it was uh, three years ago, and Peter was in hospice. Uh, and uh, the request back then was, can you talk to Peter be, uh, in parentheses before he passes away? Because he has a manuscript that's very important to him, and he'd like some help in finishing it. Well, my, my first thought was, oh, my God, I haven't been in touch with Peter enough to know that he was in hospice. This is 2018, wow. November. So that was awful, an awful feeling and of almost shame that I hadn't been in touch. The other was right away, Emily, who was the one who reached out, I said, Emily, I, have, I am not that kind of author. I written a, I co-authored a couple of books, but. I'm sort of retired, you know, and so I hate to tell him. I don't want to let him down. And she said, we'll talk to him. Well, I think, you know, since you've had uh, conversations with Peter by phone over the years, that once you listen to that man, what am I going to say? But yes, of course. I mean, even if he said, well, Dave, uh, I really don't know. And I said, well, what? Why, Peter? You know so many talented people who can get your book published. And um, he said, I'll tell you why. You get it. I said, I get what? You get practice. You get what it means to people when someone who's teaching them or training them, coaching them, even consulting, when they can feel in their way of being themselves that they matter to you and that their future matters to you as it did when you were my student yay many years ago <laughs> and i was hooked uh because i i agreed i knew that i yeah. I, I got it and so however that would have worked out at least he put this project in this thing that he really loved doing for 10 years, he worked on this manuscript. He put it in the hands of someone who would see it for its purpose in life and not just its published state, which I'm sure he would have loved to have seen too, much sooner than it's <laughs> taken me to get doing it. So yeah, uh, and I, I've, I tell you how many times until right up to now, because the, we finished the, the last proofing of the last section of the book yesterday. So that's oh a long God. stretch. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Practice is a way of being. And along those times. Yes. Uh, I had that question. Why me, Peter? You know, almost to the, you know, to the sky. Why me? <laughs> because it, it, it basically took time every single day for all those months since I agreed to do this. Uh, every single day. This, this uh, question of practice has uh, not taken away hours. It's given me a purpose for hours of, of work. Well, I know Peter is very compelling if he has something <laughs> on his mind. Yes. And you asked, you asked him the right question because he does know, or did, I should say, but he's still well, so alive in my in mind. Yeah, he's in the yeah. present in this country. All right. He knows so many people, and but he answered you in, in the way that you understood, that you do get it. And he, that was the core value for this. And, you know, 
he pulled you out of retirement. How great is that? Look up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, uh, you've changed your circumstances uh, several times and now very drastically uh, since you're um, going on yes. a year as a widow. And you've reached a point when you've stopped doing something that took everything I had, the way I taught. Yes. Uh, oh my Lord. <laughs> there is, uh, there was uh, allegations of insanity for people who looked at how much I put in to those courses for those undergraduate students in management. I was hours and hours of designing new episodes uh, for the blackboard systems and bringing in guests and figuring out some film clips. I mean, I just wanted to be, the whole thing talk about experiential learning and it it was wow. i was so bought into that and it did have positive results as you'll hear in some of the episodes with former students okay they would say that it was life-changing and you know i didn't change 30 lives at a time but if one out of five had some feeling that they now wanted to know more about organizations and humans in organizations and the things that i was teaching i was there so well yeah. i I hear you really prepared a lot. Do you have an example of what made this experiential learning come to life for them? Well, at, at the very core of my teaching, I'm a storyteller. And so every course that I design, even from the very beginning, when I was working on my PhD at UConn and they asked me to take over an organization behavior class, the very one in which I had meet, met Peter, uh, oh. And so, yes, it was a great opportunity to teach this. And so in my head, though, I said, I've got to do this my way because I don't have the theoretical memory that, that Peter had, for example. My Lord, the man, you know, never, never missed a, a, a citation in his head. And I was you know, just learning the craft. But I did get that I could be a really effective storyteller. And mm. so rather than make that a lecture storyteller, I said, let's just create a story of us. And so every course I taught from the very beginning was here we are learning together a subject that will never, ever fail to, to intrigue you because it's human behavior particularly yes. when we try to organize to do things. Can you think of anything more wild and woolly than that? I can't. Uh, and so from the very beginning, that's how I taught the courses. Now uh -huh. I needed more props. I needed yeah. more tools. And so over the years, uh, particularly in the last 30, when I was at this uh, regional university here in Connecticut, I looked everywhere for whatever I could integrate into the storytelling so that it could become more and more theirs. And uh, so I was one of the very first to see the potential of digitizing my classes by seeing what was available in, nine, in 20, uh, 1990 something or way back, eight, nine, late 80s. And I would say, well, listen, we're gonna, we're all gonna be typing our answers to each other. And we're gonna go over to the oh. lab <laughs> where you the only place on campus you could do it. And you're gonna have a floppy disk and you're gonna type it and then you load it. And it was, it was nuts to do that. But it uh. made such an impression on students because what was the story? It was their story of learning about how they were gonna have a future 
online before online was more than just something I knew about it because I, I knew about ScholarNet before it became uh, the internet, but they well, didn't know about it. So that was the beginning of the storytelling. And I told it all the way up to the last day. <laughs> you are so funny because I definitely hear your passion, but <laughs> you're self-deprecatory. Is that how you say it? When, um, You'll say, oh, this podcast, I have to do all the technical things. I had no idea <laughs> you were a front runner for technical expertise all these years. So <laughs> it's just one more uh, notch in your belt. <laughs> well, there's a motive to my madness, of course. You know, in, if you're going to use, um, uh, if you're going to be a storyteller, a teacher yeah. who tells stories, you want you want your voice to be amplified even beyond the sets of ears that are there present in your classroom. Cause that's my ego. So I said, look, oh. I'm, I am putting this in effort in for you guys, but I'm also kind of letting it fl uh, flow over into the op opportunity for other people to say, Oh, you seem to be kind of in an interesting person. Where did you get to be this interested in organization? Oh, I had this professor fear on, or they called me doc. And so, yeah, it was, it was, um, I wanted, I wanted to, to more attention <laughs> and, and of, of the sort that I never quite would hear back, but I kind of had that feeling that the, the impact was out there somewhere rippling. <laughs> and I must segue very quickly to say, Catherine, that this is the, this is the effect that Peter had. The Peter's effect on us as his learners when, when we were in his classes, how, yes how has it will it ever stop rippling in, in the way that we address the world uh, i don't think so i i think he got us well, uh, caring about the world well you're right because i mean on the one hand he had encyclopedic knowledge you know yeah. <laughs> like you said all the citations and on the other hand i was always so impressed by how natural he was he didn't use jargon he would he could talk to any group any background, business, management, students, uh, critics, and just talk in such a disarming way and um, putting together all the pieces. <laughs> so I always said, you know, that I would uh, fly with a uh, veil, sail with Bail. Sail with Which bail. it turns out he did sail and I had no idea. Oh, but, he, um, he loved it. He loved uh, everything about uh, competitive sailing. But there you are now, 160 episodes. Were you going to say something? <laughs> no, I, I, I was sailing with no, bail. Uh, so I was going to say, oh, okay. Um, I want to know why you've stuck with it. You know, this is really a lot for you to do. So, well, I'm certainly not making vast sums of money, which is very evident in <laughs> in our budget. It, it, it. Uh, in fact, I've spent money to do this, uh, so it it has to be um, a cut well, a cut well above a hobby for sure. Okay, uh, but uh, I was I uh, the the podcasting is what like, allowed Peter and me to con continue to work on. Uh, uh, practice as a way of being because he could no longer sit up to write toward those last, well, weeks, actually. And so we started this 
and I had to learn everything about podcasting in a, in a hurry because Peter's, you know, was definitely losing strength with every call. Oh uh, you can you can see it, yes. you can hear it, and he was so so eager to get to do what he you just said, Catherine, to get in conversation. He loved to be uh, thoughts in the moment kind of uh, contributor. Uh, loved to see where one idea would bounce off another, and then carrying it through. So the podcast became the right vehicle to keep Peter in the picture. Uh, while we were struggling to find a, a, an appropriate pu uh, publisher for the manuscript. So uh, that uh, experience of podcasting was not unlike what I did to contrive in my, in my courses <laughs> uh, to give people a little bump beyond the, the, the normal. And uh, I'll always be grateful for the, for the 22 episodes uh, where people can find listen to peter talking with me uh and it does correspond pretty nicely with the 32 conjectures that uh, constitute the book that uh, is ready now so little plug a little plug there <laughs> no. how did the name conjecture come up well you know i uh I would say, well, what about this theory? And he'd say, no, Dave. And this is in the podcast. He said, no, yeah. not, it's not a theory. I, I'm, I don't want to put these out there for as sort of theoretical or even hypotheses. Uh, and he said, but I once called them notes in the original manuscript, but they're more than notes because I'm, I do want them to influence people as they read them to Take them in those words into themselves and saying, how does this matter to me? And so in a way, he's saying, why don't we invite people to to conjecture with us on the nature of practice? Because can you think of a more vast question? No, I can't. <laughs> you know, you know, like, OK, theory, he, he said, I know, you know, we all know theory. Well, we academics do. We think we know theory. But do we know practice? Do we really know practice? And that was his up provocation. So the conjecturing, uh, the more I used it, the more I felt it set the work apart in some ways. As you read through and you see 32 things that he has said yes. in a, of a conjecturing nature, like practice is always human, you know, those kind of things. Uh, so and well, it, it works. Question. It's so engaging, right? It's so you, you realize, oh, I'm part of this conversation. I'm part of defining the importance of practice. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my the people that I work with? You know, it's it's so him and now it's so you. <laughs> well, that is, you know, what you just said, Catherine, is what has kept me going because uh, on this on this work, because that is so satisfying to hear someone say, oh, well, what does this mean for me? And what can this mean for the people whose lives I impact? Now tell me, is, it, is that not a teacher's dream? You know, right. to, to have people say, well, what does this mean for me? What can I take away? We use that word takeaway a lot. What are your takeaways? Right. And, and that's what we want as teachers, as authors, as you know, you're a very gifted author. We want people to take something into their lives uh, 
yes. and then take it away. That's our, I guess that's our arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's arrogance or just wanting impact. I mean, I think people go into this field for many reasons, but the one I hear the most is to make a difference. And so you're not in a, you know, you can't be isolated in your little cubby hole doing scholarly things or pontificating. That's not what it's about. It's really about touching people's lives. And so you want to see and you want to give them a process that enables them to get involved and feel motivated and interested and add their own and let the whole thing just keep changing. Yes. Uh, oh boy. You know, I, when I go through and, and edit and feature this episode, that's, those are the kinds of things that I want everyone to understand because what the two of us are talking about is at least two things. One is why organization yes. development? Why, why are we yes. so interested in people's uh, experience that they need to have in order to succeed that's provided through an organizational affiliation as an employer, as a director, or as however the role may be. That that um, that is that's the white water experience that Peter wrote about. Organizations themselves will never stay the same long enough for you to figure out exactly what to do every single time. Right. Uh, and I would add to that to this time, even yes. with artificial intelligence, if you set those dials assuming that the, that aspect of organizational patterning will not change baloney. It's changed before you set the dials because of the, of the, uh, everything that yes. makes organizations. So, um, uh, uh, the bubble, you know, uh, on the sea, just very delicate It's held together, but it can easily pop and become, you know, more things. So that alone is the, a great subject to be teaching. But what we say in organization development is, oh, and by the way, we're going to step in to your world like you did as a cons an internal and external right. consultant and right. say, uh, we can help you see a way forward to change. It, wow. Can you, it's, it's it, it takes tremendous anchoring. I like a, having a huge keel of understanding of who you are and yes. what your limits are to, 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 to offer yourself to do that uh, for others. And I'm going to flip this back to you. Uh, how did you find out that you could do that day in and day out? You know, you weren't the manager. <laughs> you were helping everyone decide how to keep that organization viable. Hmm. Um, you're doing what I did to you, <laughs> switching the questions, right? But um, it takes... I think most of all it takes curiosity because otherwise, you know, you could get performance anxiety. Oh my God, they called me in. What can I do? What do I know? But if you're focused on them, well, let me see what is going on here. And then just stay present and see what occurs to you. And then you know, you have so many resources at your disposal, mm -hmm. something's going to pop into your mind. Oh, I know what would be helpful. Let's try this. And then the whole thing about action learning 
again, is that you don't have to be the expert. You go in and you do experiments and you see how they turn out and you keep learning and learning. And, you know, at some point you have to disengage and sometimes they say it's enough and sometimes you say it's enough, Um, but you never do it all. Because like you said, the permanent whitewater, it's never done, but can you create enough capacity in the people there to keep something going in a new way, in a better way. Thank you. And I think uh, what Peter and I had talked about, about the nature of practice, people who choose to pursue ever increasingly challenging results in, a, in and amongst changing circumstances, with the idea that wherever their practice brings them to whatever context that may be, that's where they have to make the difference because that's where they need their resources. That's where they need uh, to be to be noticed. So that landing in a context and then seeing what's going on and very quickly, and this is Peter's last point in the way of thinking, is yes. thereby learning and growing. Right. See that 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 so that when we're in there as a practitioner of organization development or however we want to be titled coming in, what we are, I think, looking for, and that my curiosity is, who are the strivers? Who are the ones who want to achieve ever more mm-hmm. challenging results, no matter what their title, cleaning the floor, whatever it may be? There are people like that, the strivers, who simply will not accept uh, the status quo or the the flattest, easiest way to get through the day. They just have something going on beyond that, similar to what this conversation is about. Why, Dave? Why? Yes. So many things you could you could have done in your retirement years. Why do this? Because uh, it it's there. It's there to prove to myself. Uh, that uh, there's more to know, there's more to learn. And therefore, I, I've been growing like crazy. Thank you, Peter Vale. I have, I, I don't know how much better a human I am, but I, I do know that I wake up each morning with more thoughts that I can yes. contribute to people about practice and what, what they can do within an organization or as they separate from an organization to keep steering and clearing, making sure that they're fully responsible. For well, doing you, that. Yes. Let me ask you something. Because uh, what's the difference for you in completing the document that he wrote, the manuscript, and continuing? You're up to 160. Are you still thinking about doing more? Is it still compelling? Like it, when I did my original dissertation research, I was interviewing women, and and at 32, the same number, which is funny, mm-hmm. Pat, um, Patrick, <laughs> he's with us too. Peter mm-hmm. said, it's enough. Catherine, it's enough. 32 is enough. I was like, no, because you told me that, um, you know, until you see the pattern, you keep going. And I could keep going to infinity, I think. So, <laughs> all right. You have 32. Yeah, we have 32. You wrote about it. Mm-hmm. You've done 160 of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your what the difference is about those and how do you feel now where you are right now, three years down the line and having a sense of completion. 
Yeah. Uh, I told you in, in advance of this conversation that that's about the scariest question you could ask me uh, because I, I, I am in good health, thank God. And I have a wonderful wife and great kids and all kinds of uh, support for uh, doing something altogether different after this. And so here's the, the again, two-part answer. Uh, the okay. first part answer is I will never stop wondering if there's another thing that we could say about practice that would be helpful to other people. Everywhere I look, I, even on the golf course today, I joined yes. two, two guys I'd never met before. Uh, and we played some holes together before I had to jump off. And so I was watching how they hit, how they interacted with each other. How I was watching all that. And it wasn't so I was going to tell them how to be better at it because they, they both outdrove me every time. It's just <laughs> that I was curious to see how they played the game. So, yes, on one level, practice, the continuing interest in practice will be perpetual. Uh, the other answer, though, is that the book now, because it's digital, is it, it's mailable. I, I, can, I can't go in and change much, but I can add uh, features to the, each of those conjectures, uh, yes. video, video clips or articles. And I, I can go back and do that as much as I wanted to. So while I have completed the promise I made to Peter and to his family, yes. this will be Peter's words. Very little copywriting necessary, uh, copy editing necessary. Okay. Uh, to make sure that the, the that Peter's words are uh, are there, and as long as I can keep that that book in the world, uh, it'll always be there. That's the legacy. And why is that important? Not just because I promised Peter, because those words, those insights, are so timely right now as people are being dislodged from all of their institutional yeah. anchors they need to grab a hold of something so why not grab a hold of yourself and say all right what do i what do i do well that i never want to stop doing and i want to do it better so practice okay so peter's words are there to help that along uh the other part though is that the community that this work has drawn me into makes me feel I'm still in the game. I, yeah. I've attended virtual conferences uh, and I even drawn my son Dave into this uh, because the two of us think alike in many ways about the close in nature of, of uh, organization change and, and human change. So uh, I can, I'm not like pitching myself to be a keynote or anything like that, but I love the fact that I can, uh, get invited to attend a, uh, a virtual, it's got to stay virtual for me, uh, uh, a chance to listen to people talking about leadership as practice, uh, people talking about collaboration as the way to go in the world. All of that has been a, like a, a, a fine for me. And then to give great credit to uh, the folks who created my library uh, dot world where the book is 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 residing uh, they're very active in graduate level uh, organization and change education so vicariously i get to learn what they're doing and learn from their students and then one other person who you met now 
I made some good friends. Uh, never been in person with you or them, but I've count, yes. <laughs> I count you friend. Think of Kara Gorlick, who uh, started her uh, departure from the uh, known practice world that she was in and wanting to become more uh, involved in developing her mind. And so she chose learning as a focus and not just learning that can be put into a curriculum, but the curriculum of life where she studied yes. uh, adult learning and that brought her in connection with Peter Vale. So she took a class with Peter too, but it was learning. The learning um, is the other sort of question that I can continue to pursue. Yes, practice, but what kind of learning sustains practice? Who are the sources of that learning beyond the person? Where do they, where's what we used to call a sky hook? I don't know if you, if you ever, ever heard of a sky hook. Well, when it was a little joke, when you're in summer camp, the council would say, okay, Davey, uh, I want you to go down to the shed and I want you to bring back a sky hook for me because I want to get some of these clothes up a little higher. And so I'd go down and I'd, where's the sky hook? And they, oh yeah, yeah. They, they go, well, you know, we're fresh out of sky hooks. Well, essentially there is no such thing as a sky hook, except it's, it's, uh, it, it becomes, <laughs> it becomes real. Like I'm still looking for a sky hook. I'm still, oh, that's funny. I'm, I'm still looking for a sky hook because yes. it's, it's the next highest place that you can hook <laughs> your ideas, your aspirations, uh, you know, above, put, hold yourself yes. above the ick that we're all seeing in the world right now and not, not being uh, arrogant about it, but saying, if I can pull myself up to see more across yes. out to a further horizon, then I guess so my uh, long-winded answer, uh, Catherine, to the question of what's next for me, I'm out looking for that skyhook right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I, it seems like you have a foot in continuing what you're doing because the My Library, did did Peter know you were going to do the book in that form? I mean, no. how did you, that's so innovative. How uh, did you I, get, I, what skyhook did they use to pull you into that? Oh. Wow. I, I, I must say that it, 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 the podcast, I think, is where we get the first connection uh, because someone uh, had seen on LinkedIn or Facebook what I was doing in New Peter. And it might have even been Carol, but or it could have been Steve Cady or it could have been Dave Jameson, others who are wow. affiliated with that uh, Bowling Green uh, State University. But they sort of said, hey, you know, uh, you're doing uh, some interesting stuff. We're sorry about Peter. Uh, let's talk. And so uh, that was, I, they said, could you write a little essay? We, we want to put a, some free essays up there that, mm -hmm. that talk about life in the pandemic. So I said, sure. So I wrote this little piece taking the character uh, from Inside Knowledge, the book that I did co-author as a novel, which Peter loved, by the way. Oh. And I said, what would happen if I were to interview my main character now? This is in April or May of uh, 2020 and see how she's doing. And so that was the little essay I wrote and oh they went gosh. up onto my library. And they were very generous about it and said, this is cool. Thank you. And that led to... Uh, the rest, but there is a conjecture that Peter uh, particularly liked 
and it was called the digitization or the digitalization of uh-huh. uh, work and, and organization life. And it was one of his conjectures. This was going to become uh, a profoundly changing aspect of all of our lives, digitization. So uh, I said, yes. Peter's spirit, I said, here we go, Peter. <laughs> you know, the, the, the tough part is you can't pick up, as, as you know, you cannot pick up that lovely bound document and on turn the pages and, and write right, notes right. in the margin. So it was a little bit of a, of a, no, a lot of a risk actually in doing that. The reward, however, is that it can be so easily shared anywhere in the world. Anyone yes. can come link that and instantly own that book for $39, you know, and, and, and yes. see something there that, that has so many other features that, you know, paper, and covered uh, covered paper can't. Now we can we can uh, once we get it all done, we can print those too on demand. But the digital part is freedom. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Well, you know, um, so many people are in transition at different part, parts of their life, and so you're in one now, um, and you have the ability to continue to add to the conversation on conjectures so it's not just all or nothing like okay gosh i'm done now what do i do but is there i'm curious a conjecture that gives you some guidance or support in terms of thinking about this skyhook time that you're in yeah i think uh each of those conjectures started with practice is. And so the answer to that right off the top of this head is practice is eternal life. Now, how about that for a stretch? I mean, practice I felt that in my life. body. <laughs> it, it is in a way because, uh, you know, you had, a wonderful collaboration with Patrick. I had a wonderful collaboration with Peter. Uh, and you and I are continuing to live the way they've influenced and helped us change to be. Yes. It's yes. our way of being. And I think uh, if you really want to take that skyhook pretty darn close to heaven, then why not strive to be the kind of practitioner, however you title that, plumber, Mm -hmm. doctor, teacher, and become eternal uh, in, in, uh, and and why the hell not? And we, we understand you're studying and helping people move through the the dying process right now, which I admire the heck out of you for doing, but how else can we be eternal except to have people carry on something that happened to them because of us that made them feel better about themselves. Well, I think you've said it all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing where you are right now and where you've been and where you're going. And I can't thank you enough for your contributions and can't wait to see what else you come up with. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
That's awfully nice of you, Catherine, to do this. I, I appreciate it. I just realized as I heard what I just said to you, that yeah. I, I'm, I'm claiming to become a god. <laughs> I don't mean it. I don't mean it. Believe me, my main roots would never allow me to claim that much. But I, I will tell you this, they'll never think I'm just another bump on the log. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Thank you. But yes. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.